As we continue worshiping together today, please rise as you are able and receive these words of scripture from the gospel according to Luke, the 12th chapter, beginning with the 13th verse. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of the rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. I invite all of us together now to pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Fall afresh on me that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart might be acceptable to you, O God. For you and you alone are my strength and our Redeemer. Amen. To cap off this series on questions that we find in Scripture, I took a little bit of liberty from our Gospel text to ask the simplest question we have thought about together all summer. Can you take your possessions with you when you die, implied? We all know the answer to this question is no, so there's no real need for a sermon, right? Well, our scripture today is easily and often boiled down to this little proverb. You'll never see a moving truck following a hearse. But is that really all that Jesus wants to convey? Our text begins with someone in the crowd demanding that Jesus tell his brother to divide the family inheritance with him. Jesus quickly clarifies that it's not his job to do that work. 
but then uses the opportunity to turn toward the crowd and do some teaching. Take care, Jesus says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he tells the parable. It's tempting to label the man in the parable as kind of a bad character. But is he really? All we know, all we're told, is that his land produced bountifully, making him a wealthy man. He heeds both the counsel of his financial advisor and the message that pops up every time that he logs on to his banking site. Are you saving enough for retirement? (laughs) The farmer simply plans for his future. He gets the biggest silos on the market, and he's set. The story makes it clear that God perceives the farmer's actions not as bad, but as foolish. And not because he has money or has been successful. Those things are not inherently problematic. It seems the problem has to do with the fact that the farmer is focused on no one but himself. Every time this parable pops up in the lectionary cycle, I just have to laugh. Listen to what the farmer says. Directly from Scripture. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there, I will store my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you notice anything about that conversation? He does not acknowledge anyone outside himself. He doesn't acknowledge, for example, the farm workers who helped his crop become so bountiful. He doesn't talk to, share with, ask advice from a friend, a family member, or God. This is all about him and all about his stuff. This completely self-centered conversation receives this response from God. By the way, the only time in the whole gospel according to Luke that a character in a story gets a direct response from God. This is what God says to the farmer. You fool! Your time has come this very night. Your life is demanded of you this day. 
And what do you suppose is going to happen to all your great, big, shiny silos filled to the brim? Whose are they going to be? Just this past Tuesday, it became official, it was announced at our Foundry board meeting that Foundry had received, had in hand, a generous bequest. It's a gift. As you may know, a bequest is a gift that is planned ahead of time when one is living to support organizations or uh, churches, faith communities, for, ha- uh, for example, um, well beyond their death. And we received this gift out of love and gratitude for Foundry and for our work and our mission in the world. And it's a gift that allows our dearly departed Foundry family member to know that she is still supporting this community and its mission well into the future. We can't take our possessions with us, it's true, but we can keep sharing them long after we are gone with loved ones, with our church, and with other organizations like the church, whose mission depends on the generosity and thoughtfulness of others. And this kind of sharing only happens if we're thinking about more than me, myself, and I. As I read that final question in the parable, and having had this conversation just on Tuesday, I couldn't help but think about the question, And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The question is is one of legacy. And that's really, in many ways, the question that Jesus zeroes in on. When your time on earth is done, what will you have to show for your life? How will your life continue to be present and remembered and make an impact in the world? And it isn't a question meant to make anyone feel inadequate or anxious. It's a question really meant to make us pause. Because if prayerfully considered, this question helps us put things in perspective. It helps us set priorities and to bring purpose and peace to our lives. And Jesus is teaching here that he doesn't want us to waste our lives needlessly worrying or putting our faith and our trust in idols that will not meet our deepest needs or give us true life. Often we focus on idols, modern idols. We focus on stuff on money, on products, and, you know, and even those of us who are trying to live really intentional lives where our values align with, um, with our practice, even still it's so easy for us to get focused on stuff, <laughs> and on money and on products as a, try, as a way to try often to deal with something deeper and, frankly, more real and more meaningful. It's... It's tempting to believe that if we have the right stuff, then maybe that will help us not be so lonely 
or that the right product will make us more attractive to others and maybe help us feel more lovable. We worry about having enough or being enough. We have various insecurities about our bodies. We're anxious about our health. Sometimes, perhaps often, we worry about our net worth when what the deeper concern might be is whether our lives are truly worthwhile. I've shared before, and I'll always remember, when I read of a lawyer who was getting ready to retire and who, upon reflection on his career, noted that he had spent so much of his time in the midst of siblings fighting over family inheritance. And he said, really, they're fighting over their parents' love. In the verses that immediately follow our text for today, Jesus continues the teaching that he had begun with the parable, saying, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? If then you are not able to do a small thing like that, why do you worry about the rest? And then just a little further, Jesus says this, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. As I shared last week, God wants to provide for us. God wants to help us receive what we need. And this is not to say, by the way, that we don't need to work, work hard, and to save and to be wise with our possessions. The teaching is also not to sit around and just wait for God to provide. The point is about where you put your faith and how you live your life with and for others and how you enjoy and share your possessions to life-giving ends. It's about your priorities. It's about what gives your life meaning. And as we know, the core of Jesus' teaching is that what matters most of all is relationships, how we care for and share with and support and love one another. This is what life is all about. This is where meaning and purpose and joy are found. Loving relationships sustain us and make our lives worthwhile. Our riches are found in the amount that we are loved and have loved. 
And as we turn toward God and toward loving relationship with others, God will sustain us with more than enough. What we receive may not be the newest thing or the glossy image so consistently projected as the goal, all of the perfectly groomed homes and airbrushed bodies. But all those things are not the source of our sustenance or our value or our lovability. When we make those our idols, we set ourselves up for such deep disappointment and emptiness because those idols can become so easily our God that demands more and more of our loyalty and energy without giving us anything in return. Our possessions, whether we have much or little, are beautiful gifts. And they're even more beautiful when they're shared, when we share our home, when we share our food, when we share whatever it is we have. We may not have those, much of any of that, but whatever we have, every possession we have is more beautiful when we share it. When it helps, when we use our possessions to help us support God's work of mending of mending the world and so many wounded bodies and broken hearts. Our possessions can be faithfully folded into a meaningful life that makes a difference to others. But our possessions will never be able to provide the one assurance that we all need the most. Only God can give you that assurance every moment of every day. And that's that you are loved. You are loved. That promise sets you free to share what you have. And as a result, to receive all you need truly more than enough. Thanks be to God.